Hello, everyone. Hello again. My name is Piero Carletti, and I am your host today on the NSUMD's Sink or Swim podcast. And today we will be talking about the journey or my journey and my guest's journey into ophthalmology. And we're going to talk about a lot of other things surrounding ophthalmology, like how to even uh, figure out if ophthalmology is something you like during med school because we don't really get exposed to it as much. Uh, we're going to talk about um, research years because both of us are doing research years. And we're going to talk about some of the peculiarities of ophthalmology application, but less technical and more about like our scoop. Um, like aware rotations, um, like a weird psychological test that they make you take now. <laughs> so we're going to talk about all of those things. It'll make sense at some point. So to introduce my guest, who you have heard of before, is Mona Amer. She is the myth, the legend, <laughs> and I forgot the third part of that <laughs> saying, but she's the amazing. Man, the myth, the legend. Oh, okay. The the woman, the 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 pharaoh, the the myth and the legend. <laughs> I love this one. Uh, I know. Um, well, hi everybody. I'm Mona. Um, I think the other episode is before like, yeah 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 the other episode so you probably have heard our other episode but it's me again yep happy to be here it's Mommer again Mommer. yeah we call we call her uh effectively Mummer because that's that her. is my instagram handle go follow me yeah thanks. shout out at Mummer. m-a is it m-m m-m-a-m-e-r underscore underscore Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. She got, she got fancy with that one, guys. Um, okay. So. To, shameless plug. Yeah, yeah. Very shameless plug. So the goal of this podcast is going to give, it's going to be to give you a, a bit of a framework on how to choose a specialty and specifically ophthalmology and how to explore specialties that are maybe you're not within your core rotations like ophthalmology was for me and uh, also give you a little bit of a, of a look into what ophthalmology really is and uh, also introduce you to the concept of a research year, how to look for a research year, what can be gained from a research year and then we're going to talk about all of those other things that I just mentioned. So let's mm -hmm. dive straight let's get into, into it. it. Um, because we have some ramen to eat after this, guys, and I'm getting hungry. So and my mouth is watering. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mamur just introduced me to this new ramen place that I didn't know about. One hundred seven taste. Is... Uh huh. It's delicious. Ooh. They have the best ramen, I think, um, and the best noodles. So we're gonna devour that. Nice, nice, nice. If you think the ramen is trash, don't tell me. <laughs> um <laughs> if you think ramen is trash no you don't yeah no if no 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 wait no no if you think ramen is trash then maybe you should look in the mirror and you'll find the trash but um <laughs> um but if you think 107 taste is trash i don't know don't tell me it's, i i believe my girl you, trust me. I believe i'm a big foodie all right let's Let's try this. I'll tell you guys how it was later. Um, so we'll report back. First thing is, I think is is always useful and insightful to tell you like our journey into mm -hmm. opto, and how um, we found out that that was what we liked. And I will start with Mamur. Yeah. Um, Mona. So tell us a little bit about how you got into it, when, at what time. Yeah. All that stuff. So I found 
ophthalmology very late it was、huh? my third year of medical school and before that i was very undecided i liked everything but also i didn't like anything enough、right. to do it for my entire life the closest thing that came to that was emergency medicine and i actually、okay. um contemplating going into it um that's awesome yeah i really like Well, we're gonna get into like the yeah, rotations yeah. more and what we liked about it, but I really was thought I really thought I was gonna go into emergency medicine. And then,、um, middle of third year, I had some elective time. Okay. So I signed up for emergency medicine because it's not a core rotation at my medical school. And also ENT. I did like a radiology elective. And the last well, you had, one. You had, a lot of, you had a lot of elective time. Yeah, and actually,、wow. that was even after they shortened it. So, because、wow. my year, because my class was canceled for step one the summer before third year, they had to make time for like a dedicated step one studying、oh. during third year. So, to do that, they had to shorten every core rotation by one week. Okay. And、um, shorten some elective time. So this、gotcha. is actually way less than like what other classes got. Wow. Yeah, and ophthalmology was the last elective. Gotcha. <laughs> so, I when I found it, it was like February. So that's like six months, actually four months before applying. <laughs> That is、yeah. insane, actually,、I'm, to think about. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm, I was in a similar boat. So. Yeah. And question: What triggered you to even schedule an ophthalmology elective? Did you schedule it? With the intention of exploring it, or、yeah. did you schedule it more because, like, oh, sounds like an interesting rotation? Well,、um, I wanted to explore everything that was not core that I could think of. Gotcha. So the main ones were ENT, radiology, and I thought ophthalmology. I just didn't know much about. So yeah,、mm. I just just wanted to explore what else was out there. Because again, I was gonna go into emergency medicine, but I was not a hundred percent, and that's why I spent some time on my elective time in emergency medicine. Gotcha. Um, and when I got to ophthalmology, I just realized I liked it way more than all the others, and it's just so different. And、uh, I, I, that's the one I could see myself doing for the rest of my life. We're very happy. Yeah. I'm very happy personally that you chose ophthalmology,、oh, and、yeah. we found each other along、yeah. the way. Um,、exactly. question. Yes. Uh, during emergency. So, background. Two that I can think of. A lot of people in in my class, my first class, I guess. I have a new class now, but my original class before I took the research year, a lot of people went into emergency medicine,、mm-hmm. and among those are two of like my closest friends during med、oh. school. Shout out Jackie and Caitlin, um, who are both doing emergency medicine. It's amazing. Jackie is at UT Southwest Southwestern,、Ooh. and Caitlin is at Georgetown. Georgetown, George Washington. George Washington. I don't know. It's one of those. <laughs> I always forget. I always, She's always in DC. Um, and、uh, so I know that during like in emergency medicine, there is usually like a slit lamp and like a whole opto room. Yeah. Did you see any opto stuff during、oh、my emergency、gosh. medicine rotation? No, not really. Because、oh、for some reason, I I think those come later in the night, and I just didn't. Maybe. I just happened to not be exposed to like、gotcha. eye injuries. Um, I knew about the opto room. But nobody knew what to do with any of this. <laughs> know what to do with any of the stuff in that room. So I basically didn't see any off though.、Gotcha. I did see some like facial lacks, which were interesting. Gotcha. And some of them were close to the eye, but 
was it close enough for them to like call consult off the, yeah. gotcha 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 okay all right and then during that author rotation you loved it fell in love with it decided yes. to apply off though Yes, uh, I really like the clinic. I got to shadow in the OR. I think the OR is where I made my decision. Um, It was a cataract case, I remember. And although I didn't know what any of the steps were, it was just all looked very cool. And the slit lamp itself was cool to me. I they had a teaching scope, so I got to see the inside of the eye, which I think. That was like a it's huge, crazy. Tr- yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. I remember the first time I yeah. saw the retina, and I was like, oh, and the this nerve is what and like the vessels coming out. <laughs> you know, because when they tell you like how to use a, a a direct ophthalmoscope out there, like for those of you listening who are maybe not going to go into ophthalmology, no one uses a direct. No one uses a direct ophthalmoscope in ophthalmology. Yeah. First, it lets you see like a tiny little bit of the retina. It has like a tiny field. And also, you have to, like, be, like, kissing the patient and uh, <laughs> just super awkward. And um, I'm going to leave – I'm going to make this a rhetorical question, but has anyone actually seen the retina using a direct ophthalmoscope oh during, so actually, like, an OSCE yes. or something? You did? No, 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 listen. So I have this – Not a, it's not, not a crazy story, but, like, it was my first time seeing an ophtho person use um, a direct – it was a glaucoma attending at my home program. I get how and, glaucoma could use but, it. But but this person doesn't believe in cup to disc ratio. Like what? and also Excuse so me. so clearly they're like peculiar. Um like it, yeah. <laughs> so they he was like, you know, it's the direct ophthalmoscope is the best way to visualize the optic nerve. And actually, it was so clear. It was it so is big. Very, yes. Because, okay, so to give some people background, basically the most common way that people visualize the retina is using the slit lamp with a long, but the slit lamp is a biomicroscope. It doesn't have enough power, lens power, for you to get inside the retina. So you only see the surface of the eye, very like magnified. To get inside the, the eye, you have to use a loose lens. So it's a separate lens that you, with your hand, put in front of the slit lamp, between the slit lamp and the eye, and then that gives you the added magnification to look at the retina. But the field of view is much bigger than what you see with the direct ophthalmoscope, mm-hmm. so you will see not only the optic nerve head, but you will also see a lot of the retina mm-hmm. with it. With the direct, the direct ophthalmoscope has a bunch of like uh, power in it, and so you will see, and, and but the, the field of view is tiny, so you will all that you will see is the optic nerve head. And so you'll see just like a ginormous magnified view of the optic nerve Mm. head, which is really cool, but no one really uses it. Yeah. Because you can evaluate the optic nerve much like on the slit lamp and also at the same time as you're evaluating everything else. Right. So It's not the most convenient. Yeah. But where were we? I got lost. Um, (laughs) We were talking about emergency medicine and your friends going into... Right, right. So we talked about emergency medicine. We talked about a lot of things. Um... A bit about my journey um, in contrast and comparison to Mona's. I also was pretty undecided. I think I came into um, into med school thinking like maybe internal medicine. In fact, I, I you know, I created the internal yeah. medicine interest group. I saw that. <laughs> with a lot of like uh, some of my classmates. And uh, I was like set on internal medicine and then rotations. And there were a lot of things that made me realize that, that was really not for me. And uh, 
it was a little difficult to like, you know, revert all, everything that you've done up to that point um, and say, this is not what I want. But, uh, but I did. The thing is, I knew I didn't want to do internal medicine, but I didn't know mm. what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so essentially after, and we're going to talk about the rotations and what you can get from them. But after doing most of my rotations, when I had elective time, I scheduled an ortho elective because during my OB rotation, actually, um, next to the hospital, there was an outpatient surgery center where ortho mm. um, surgeries took place. And my OB attending knew one of the attendings there. And he was like, oh, why don't you check out like ophthalmology? Because he knew that I was like pretty undecided and was looking into other fields. And he was like, why don't you check out ophthalmology? There's a lot of like downtime in, in OB. Sometimes you're just like waiting for, for dilation to happen. And, um, and he was like, yeah, just go across the street. Let me call him. He's like doing, he's in surgery right now. So just go watch some cataract surgery. I did, and I was like, I definitely want to explore this more. Oh my gosh, that is so so nice. Yeah, and so I scheduled a rotation. But that rotation was at the end of my third year. And so I also decided on Otho probably... Even later. May? Wow. Yeah, April, May of... Like right before applications were due. So we're going to get more into that. But it's very common. It's very common for those of you freaking out. Because this is your case, because you're deciding pretty late on anything, it doesn't have to be off though, this is a case for a lot of people because most schools don't have a core ophthalmology rotation. Some schools do, but very, very rare. Or they just don't have a big like ophthalmology department presence. Right. Like my school, for example. Um, So if if you're an early decider, that's consider yourself lucky because right. a lot of us just never got the exposure right. to it. Yeah. And usually early deciders had some sort of like previous experience yeah. because it's really one of those fields that you don't get exposed to if you don't seek it. Not at all. So, so unless um, you have like a family member or like a family right. friend. Or you did research in mm-hmm. it, then you probably don't know. Yep. Now, um, we're going to talk a little bit more later about like what maybe what things to think of if you're an early decider and you're like an m1 or an m2 and you know you want to do ophthalmology versus if you're an m3 so now before we do that we want to kind of now that we took you um on like an expedited way to our journey through ophthalmology Mm -hmm. we're going to take you a little bit more in detail through like what we took from each rotation and how each rotation kind of helped us figure out what we liked and what we didn't like. One thing is you have to be very honest with yourself. You have to be very cynical. At the same time, you know, keep an open mind. Things can change. But if you really don't like something, you don't like it. And factor that in. Really, really take yourself seriously. Don't say, don't brush it off and say, oh, but you know, I'll probably like it after. Or because... And a lot of people will tell you this. It is extremely true. But I mean, what I'm saying is you're, this is not going to be probably the first time or the last time that you hear it. But to do something, you have to still enjoy the most mundane and bread and butter cases of that specialty. So some specialties have really interesting days, but that's not going to make up the bulk of your of your mm-hmm. routine. It's going to be boring typical bread and butter cases especially and you have to like those you're like private practice yes yeah, especially in private practice yeah true so rotation by rotation yep let's start with maybe 
peds. So how how was your your peds rotation and um um like what did you what did you get from it? Yeah, I had an inpatient portion and an outpatient portion. Gotcha. And I actually like the inpatient portion more cuz it was Same. more like fast paced and we were on our feet. I liked the thinking process. I think and you will hear this over and over. I just didn't like how general it was. There's just I mean it's so systemic. I like more focused specialties. Gotcha. Um I loved working with kids though. They were great. Um what I liked about peds is that a lot of these I liked that kids could heal yes. very fast. Yes. And like, it was very rewarding in the sense that so rewarding. they get out actually feeling better a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Unlike another specialty, which we'll t- <laughs> touch on. We'll talk about that, but I cannot agree more. I think, you know, Pete's was like, was a nice rotation. It was actually my second rotation, I want to say. It was my first inpatient rotation. And um, I was like enjoying the inpatient um, like mm-hmm. vibe and everything. And like for the first time. But I agree that I think the biggest thing that I took from Pete's and, and it took a lot of like reflection to get to this point where I can tell what I liked is I love the fact that kids mostly come with one problem. Yeah. You know, they have or they ha- they may have many problems, but they have one that needs attention at that time. Right. And kids heal really fast. You can intervene, help them. They recover really quickly. They are very happy Mm -hmm. and they're out and healthy. And so that is just so gratifying. Um, I think we can contrast that with like internal medicine, which is a a super cerebral and, and you have to think of a bunch of like pathophysiological mechanisms. But I don't know. I, I don't know if this was your case, but one thing that really bummed me down is I felt like you're never fully mm. making a like a huge, you know, change cuz yeah. someone comes in with like a million chronic problems that are not compl- like none of them are completely stable. Mm-hmm. You're fixing one tiny portion of what's happening which is like what got them into the hospital, but you feel like you're putting them out into the community and trying to like, you know, hook them up with primary care and making sure that they take care of themselves and that they have the the right resources, but it's just there's so much that probably goes unaddressed and most patients don't leave super happy and maybe the people who did I am are going to fight me on this, but that was mm-hmm. my take. I actually really loved though how cerebral it was mm. and how complex how complex yeah it's very complex um i am my experience with i am is a little skewed because both my sub i in fourth year and my core third year clerkships were both at the va okay so that changes things guys if you're in third year you know the va is a di- completely different patient population completely different like workflow Mm. and i think the residents that were surrounding me were not happy there um and also yes i agree with everything pierre said to a t patients come in with so many chronic problems which is fine but yes you don't feel like you're you don't feel like any of them are controlled you feel like even when you have to fix 
one predominant issue. It's you still have to maintain all of their other um, conditions, health conditions. So it feels like you're you. A lot of the time, I felt like we're just trying to get them to a certain level of okay in order for them to be discharged. And then they go out into the world and maybe they do, maybe they don't follow up with their primary care doctor and they end up coming back in. So it's just like, it's almost like you're just trying to get them out into the world. Yeah. You're like taking, like treating them and just for them to go out in the, into the world and like seeing how long it takes for them to come back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. And, and I think that is a huge issue and I am. It's the whole point of like, how do we avoid re-hospitalization, readmissions? It's all about like how long, you know, do you keep them in the hospital? Mm-hmm. How do you keep them from coming back? And yeah. it's, I don't know, to, to some people that can feel like a, like a good challenge. To me, it felt like a constant battle that was wearing me um, wearing me off a little bit, like wearing me down. So right. I because it's the more common one, I feel right. But I, I so I, I realized, you know, I was very honest with myself. Especially, it was hard because I had thought about I am the whole time. So I decided, you know, okay, I don't like this. Yeah. I'm not going to be very happy in this, even with time and even when. Uh, oh, because I had one attending that was like extremely smart and this guy knew all of the guidelines and knew mm. all of the path of his methods and the mechanisms of action all the drugs and and just like rounding with him was like a lecture it was so wow. cool and uh and then we would like go to the telemetry um like uh floor and just go through all the trips and go through like okay like what do you see what do you think is going on it was really cool and that i think was super stimulating but i had to be honest with myself and say no this is the part that I'm enjoying, but I'm actually not enjoying the I am part of itself. Yeah, I actually, I resonate with that because I did like cards a lot. Mm. And I still do. I think it's a great field and very stimulating. Yeah. Um, I think the heart itself is very cool, but the thought of going into I am first is, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. was very daunting and I just didn't want to. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, I think I agree. Some people, some of you listening might be going into I am and disagree. And honestly, a lot of my friends went into I am and I can see why. Like, I, I really can. Mm. It was just, you know, being cynical, not my thing. You just have to be okay with also like practicing any portion of I am. Right. You can't, I feel like, I mean, you can, but like it's a risk and you never want to end up in a situation where you're forced to go into like a specialty that's less competitive within I am just because you couldn't do what you wanted to do. Right, right. I agree. Now, moving on. So we talked about peds and IM. Let's talk a little bit about like OB and like surgery and things like that. What did you like about OB and and surgery? I Uh, I put them side by side because they are kind of, they're similar. They're both surgical uh, fields. Yeah, I loved OB. I loved women's health. Um, It was so special to like be able to do ultrasounds on patients and they're usually very happy um, in the clinic and then also following them to see their surgeries was so cool the surgery itself was I had never seen a c-section before so it was (laughs) I was so amused and like so into it um and I held a baby for the first time so it was a lot of firsts and it was just really special um I loved I loved Vaginal deliveries, I loved C-sections. I did like, 
I, that's when I knew I liked surgery and like working yeah. with my hands. Nice. Um, but I just still couldn't see myself doing it for the rest of my life. Yeah. No, I, I agree to a certain extent. I enjoyed my OB rotation just because I was really like open to learning and, but I, I knew I didn't like the topic itself that much. Uh, I just wasn't super into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not that I hated it. I just, I knew there were other topics that I liked more. Mm -hmm. And I actually really enjoyed my rotation because I enjoyed the surgery portion a lot. Mm -hmm. And one thing I also really liked is the fact that you are in, like, you are actually helping the patient. You're doing these procedures, helping, Mm -hmm. um, and, and doing what you need to do, tackling the problem that comes in. And most patients come out super happy and um and it's just like the patient population is very happy and with your intervention comes immediate results so i like that aspect yeah i i agree i liked obstetrics more i did like gyne to some extent i liked you know gestational follow-ups but Mm. i didn't like so you like the clinical ob I like the not clinical the, not OB, so much the gyne. Not the not so much the gyne or the gyne onk especially. I actually liked gyne onk. You did? I did. So, oh my god. Um, <laughs> I it's have to it's know odd. More. It's odd. I think it's because of the attending though. Oh. Okay. Um. So I I did not like gyne. I will be very mm. honest. Did not enjoy that clinic. Mm. Um. Yeah, just really wasn't my thing. I wasn't into the topic at all. Um, I did it and, and learned a ton, mm. but it was it was not. I, I immediately knew that this is this is really not my yeah. thing. Um, so we did do gynonk. Uh, I actually, I really liked it because of the surgeries. The surgeries were very complex. Yes. Um. After Agreed. doing, I think it was like a month of OB. Um. The basically the surgeries that we were doing were just c-sections and so saw a lot of c-sections uh-huh. then moving on to gynonc it was like every surgery uh-huh. was totally different yeah, it was yeah. very complex some were laparoscopic some were open mm-hmm. some were transvaginal it was like really cool um and also i didn't think about that That's... my attending was just like incredible um shout out dr garani um <laughs> i i love that you bring up that point yes there isn't that much diversity in in obstetrics yeah that's true. Yeah, the, the surgical diversity is. And I guess that that also, not to like, you know, go up against like the, the OB people, but that also depends on where you practice. The thing is, our OB rotation is at, um, at a religious hospital. Mm. And so we're, they're, they're not allowed to perform like, oh. um, like um, what's it called? Like hysterectomies or like legations, things like that. No. So wow. that happens somewhere else. So... Pretty much all of our surgeries were C-sections. So, oh. so in summary, what did I get from OB was I liked operating. I liked intervening with like the main problem that was coming. And mm-hmm. I liked the fact that my intervention had direct results. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Surgery was pretty similar. Uh, I also, that's that was when I first realized I liked working with my hands. I liked doing procedural stuff. But it's just surgery has such an intense culture Mm -hmm. and the procedures are very long. Um, Mm -hmm. It's pretty like um, abrasive uh, or that's how I felt at least. Um, I loved it for learning, but I 
I was pretty honest with myself and said, I don't think I can do this for yeah. the rest of my life. For surgery. So surgery was my last rotation. It was actually my favorite rotation. Um, I can, I can, I can vibe with that. Yeah. I did it in a rural setting. Oh. And there the general surgeons got to do everything. So it wasn't, you know, the general surgeon in your average city doesn't do a thyroidectomy, doesn't do right. a breast um, right. biopsy. But in, in that hospital, since, you know, they didn't have that many specialists, the chief of surgery, which who was, we worked most closely with, he did everything. That's actually um, really so cool. So I saw a lot of diversity. Oh. I loved operating with him. Also partly... Again, this goes to show like how much your experience can be skewed oh, yeah. by so many factors, like who you work with, yes. um, how much they love their job, the yep. setting, um, yep. the patient population, and just what you get exposed to. So for me, it was like the culmination of all the good factors, right? So my my teacher was great. Uh, he really, you could really see his passion. Like one time, I asked him, and that's actually when I knew it wasn't for me. One time, I asked him, um, you know, how was your weekend? He was like, Oh, I like spent it operating the whole time like i i don't know i did this <laughs> whipple for like i don't know eight ten hours oh my God. and i'm like i just don't feel i wouldn't feel the same way about doing a whipple for 10 hours yeah yeah and no i get that yeah it's very like stimulating and everything but lifestyle wise also not for me i didn't get that much pleasure out of it that much joy um yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I I one hundred percent agree, and it's funny that you mentioned the Whipple because I actually spent most, if not all, of my um, surgical surgery rotation in Surge Onc, mm-hmm. and the person I spent the most time with in the OR did a lot of Whipples, mm-hmm. and so I think throughout my time there, we did probably like a Whipple a week. He was granted much faster because he did him so much, but it was still like you know three hours, three four hours. And, um, one, like, I didn't love the length of the surgeries, but I did realize that, like, I like complex surgeries. Uh I enjoy that. Um, I know that may be very different from opto because of, like, the size of everything involved and the fact that, like, open abdomen, opto surgeries are, like, pretty, you know, small. Yeah. But it's just the complexity, the level of complexity and the level of, um, diversity, yeah. One Whipples, like the Whipples are never the same. There's always like something different. And right. so that was cool. Yeah. I, I think I also realized during that uh, time that I like working in smaller spaces that still yes. have that same level of diversity. So, I mean, also huh. was perfect in that regard. Yeah. And now um, two more that like I particularly learn, learned some from, uh, something from is was psych and family medicine. I think from psych, I learned that I, I enjoyed like, clinic type environment i enjoyed like you know getting to know patients a little bit more but i need a little bit more activity and obviously i liked surgery so that was like out of the question um and then family medicine if anything taught me it was a really nice rotation and actually not to make it like oh it was because of the the rotation that you had actually my my preceptor was super nice gave me a ton of autonomy taught me a ton i just really realized i don't like slow clinics Mm -hmm. don't look it's not my thing same and i also don't like managing chronic conditions i don't like routine care like give me i don't know just 
give me an intervention. I feel like most of yeah. these were just, okay, you're doing well. Like, let's update. Let's, mm. like, send in your prescriptions. Let's see how controlled your blood sugar was. But, like, with that, you just, like, do counseling or, like, I yeah. don't know, add another medication. It didn't seem like the intervention I was looking for. Um, it yeah. was also not surgical. And to add to that, I think for me, it wasn't so much that I was, like, seeing routine things and making minimal changes is that the changes themselves didn't seem to have like a ton of effect Mm. they didn't seem to change things drastically you're still kind of fighting you know diet lifestyle modifications Mm. trying to find the right um you know antihypertensive and anti like um like diabetes medications and uh still fighting insurance a lot and so Mm. yeah didn't love that and this is actually, the, the point about clinic is really important because Opto does have a lot of clinics. So you would say, well, then if you didn't like clinic, you're not going to like Opto. Mm-hmm. But Opto is like a totally different type of clinic. It's an extremely mm-hmm. fast-paced mm-hmm. and tons of interventions involved um, in every patient encounter. So very yeah. different clinic. So if you don't like primary care clinic, that doesn't mean that you're not going to like Opto. Right. Different types of clinic. And I feel like for the most part, for the most part, patients are more likely to work with you and off though yes just because i feel like vision is probably like the most feared things amongst americans so and since they don't know much about it they are you know they really want to preserve their vision they really want you to do your job so they will listen to you for the most part yeah but i feel like with lifestyle modifications in like family medicine in a family medicine clinic a lot of those are like diet modifications exercise it's it takes a ton of like convincing and energy and and time to like keep up with that and be able to convince them with something and some people love that some people really enjoy or not i mean they don't love like chasing patients over lifestyle modifications but they do enjoy counseling and they enjoy you know changing people's lives because it is very satisfying when you counsel someone who has diabetes Mm -hmm. and are able to improve their diet and they're able to like drop some diabetes some medication and that is very um, satisfying. It's just, yeah, it wasn't satisfying enough for me to really go into that type of specialty. Right. So, Even though yeah. I really think like life-saving, these life-saving modalities are like much more effective than like hospitals on the long run. Yeah. Um, and it's probably super rewarding to, yes. to cause someone to not have a heart attack right. or just live a longer, happier life. 100%. It's so rewarding, but um, it, it comes with a cost. Yes. No, I I agree 100%. Now, with, I guess, having having gone through, like, core rotations and um, and electives and things like that, especially us, you know, we're going into a specialty that's usually not part of the core rotations and sometimes not even part of the electives. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's, it's not on a lot of people's radars. Yeah. It's just how, how do you think students can like explore um mm. opto or even like ent uh urology things like that without or, or during their third year or, yeah. or get get a peek into like what are what these specialties are yeah so i think we can divide this into two categories i think category one is people who have a home department at their mm, true, school true. and then people who don't so i'm gonna talk about 
The people who do first. Yeah, no, no, no. Talk okay. about your experience. I can talk about the people who don't. And so we can kind okay, of like perfect, bounce ideas perfect. off of. Yeah. yeah. So I think the best exposure is being there. So go to their clinic first, I would say. And then, you know, try to attend as many. First of all, try to attend the resident clinic. If they have a resident clinic, like the, a primary care clinic, mm. go there. Like a primary care for ophthalmology clinic go there you will see the most variety i think and um you don't want your experience to be skewed in any type of way by going to like a subspecialty clinic like plastic that's just like not what most ophthalmology does so um you know go there talk to the residents um ask them to like show you stuff to teach you stuff see what their day is like um what they're going into what like future career prospects do they have do they align with yours even if you don't know yet just like talking to these different people will make you know um what else uh ask if there is research obviously if you're still interested at that point um ask for research i think research is a huge portion of the application yes and it's valued in ophthalmology so the earlier the better um i would talk to them about how they went into ophthalmology because they can you know you can you will resonate with i think some things and then they can also tell you you know maybe other points and like compare and contrast with other specialties maybe things that you haven't thought about yeah so i think it's super enlightening um try to work with your hands i don't know uh i feel like just no i think that's a that's a good point like basically use all of your resources um and if you have if you're at a place that has those programs go check them out Mm -hmm. they are there they're Mm -hmm. used to having students they teach yeah you know take advantage of that ask to see surgeries too because that is a big part of ophthalmology it's equally as surgical as it is clinical um so if they if you if also they see that you're taking initiative they will be more likely to show you more and more stuff and that's how you can get the most out of it and make like an informed decision yeah i think and this first part i'm going to talk about also probably also applies to like people with uh, uh programs oh. um in a, in a in a school that has all those programs is i think even if you come into medical school with the idea of doing something Keep a decently open mind Mm. and not just like passively keep an open mind. Mm. Actually explore these other specialties. Mm -hmm. So what happened to me is I I came in like thinking internal medicine and I did have an open mind. um, And like, you know, really like thought about some of the other specialties. But you can't think of what you don't know. (laughs) And I had never been exposed to ophthalmology. And so I think one thing I would have loved to to have done or one I would tell to like my first year self is go into like YouTube and look up videos of like what is it to, to go into ophthalmology mm-hmm. what is ophthalmology what do they do on their day-to-day yeah um like because you don't really know what a lot of these specialties do on a day-to-day basis I still don't know what a lot of the yeah. other specialties do on a day-to-day basis but I I kind of understand the the overall like idea of what each specialty is I feel like at this point because I, ex- I had to explore them pretty late but um, yeah, actually, I think the fact, at least for me, like the fact that I didn't decide on ophthalmology until late was great because I went into every specialty thinking I was going to do that specialty. That's actually really, yeah, that's and, really good. And I think that makes you, 
learn more first which is yeah. your primary job as a med student yes and then because you will be an intern at some point um, <laughs> yes. don't forget that <laughs> um, and then it'll also help you really realize what you like and what you don't like yeah no i agree i couldn't agree more and then for for example talking to you know talking to the nsumd students who um we don't have departments for a lot of specialties like for example um, actually, I don't know if we don't have a department. I don't think we have a department for urology. And I don't think we have a department for ENT. I think mm-hmm. the, the ENT department is, is like, coming, maybe? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I heard at some point that there was, like, an ENT department that was being started. And, and we may be able to, like, rotate through. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. basically, um, for a lot of these, talk to um, people who might collaborate with um, some of these positions. So for example, once I realized that I wanted to do something surgical, I talked to a lot of, of, um, I basically, the thing is ophthalmology can, is kind of like half surgical, half not, Mm -hmm. but I basically told everyone, okay, I'm interested in doing a surgical specialty. I'm, I've looked into, uh, obviously, like, I was exposed to surgery, was exposed to OB, have not been exposed to ENT, um, urology, ophthalmology. I have not been exposed to any of these or plastic surgery. And so, like, how can I? And so one thing is during my surgery surgery rotation at that hospital, they also had, um, like, an ENT OR and a urology OR. Mm. And so I actually went in and, like, asked the attending, hey, can I just come in and like watch one of these surgeries? And then it was really cool. I spoke to then um, a new faculty that literally had just graduated. Um, and he was super nice and told me like all of the deets about like urology, what are, and if you ask honestly and like come off as like, I'm actually interested and I really want to know what you do, they'll tell you the pros and the cons. No mm-hmm. one's going to hide what's bad about their specialty if mm. you come like you know honestly and you find the person who looks like they they want the best for you mm-hmm. um and so ask them like, you know what do you like about urology what you what don't you like about this and then i know ent and euro um there is an or that does those procedures at west side for those of you who are going to rotate there for surgery i don't know about the other places but you mm-hmm. can always ask and then for ob i for i'm sorry for opto I was literally telling everyone that I met, like, oh, I'm also interested in maybe exploring ophthalmology. Like, do you know anyone? How do I? And then that's how I found my ophthalmology, my first experience, because I told um, my preceptor at my OB rotation, like, hey, I'm interested in ophthalmology. Yeah. And he was like, oh, actually, they're doing surgeries like right across the street. Love that. So, see, you never tell know. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what kind of connections that person you're talking to has. Yeah. yeah. And what insight they can give you. Maybe they. Uh, switched from ophthalmology yeah, to that yeah, specialty. Yeah. And one thing I found is and there's that like um, perpetual debate debate of should you go into the specialty um, and say that you want to do that specialty right. or <laughs> or like uh, be honest about you, what, what yeah. you want to do. I think at the beginning I I went into IM saying like oh yeah I'm thinking about IM, but then I didn't actually say that for any of the other um, rotations. And I think it was never an issue because I was still giving it my all. Yeah. I think they don't care as long as you're really giving it your all. I mm. think they care when they see that you're like, yeah, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And oh then you don't show interest. 
Yes, <laughs> guys, that's like the worst thing you can do. Definitely give every your job is still to be a medical student. So your job is to learn. Your job is to be a sponge. Be a sponge <laughs> every day. Mommer, you don't have to tell Mommer is a sponge. <laughs> if you take anything from this episode, it's for you to be a sponge. Be a loofah, okay? <laughs> take up all that mold. Take it uh, all up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not that, but... <laughs> I hate, hate loofahs. Um, you do? They're great. They, I feel like they're gross, though. You gotta change them out. Just like makeup brushes. Makeup brushes are gross. Yeah, I'm not changing makeup brushes anytime. <laughs> like, you know. I don't um, know why I told you that. No, 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 no. It, it, good information no. to have. It, it's good. To- <laughs> um, but yeah, to my point, you you still need to take that core clerkship exam. Yes. You still need to perform well. You still need to interact with these people while they're writing your evals. But even yes. more so than that, you just oh need God, to learn evals. medicine. Yes. And... If if you tell them, okay, I'm thinking about it, or maybe no, I'm like going into something else, yeah, that is all fine. But if they start to see that you're like not doing your job, yes. that's gonna be a problem. Trust me. Or like missing out on opportunities to learn more and to like look into the specialty a little more because you're like already closed off to that idea. It's not nice. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. It's not nice. You're going to miss on opportunities. You're going to miss on people who are gonna vouch for you. Um, and then there's, there's like a couple more points that I want to make from this. Um, I guess I'll dive into it because I forgot about the first one that I was going to talk okay, about. But, <laughs> um, but, uh, one of them is a lot of these people will end up writing letters of recommendation for you. And even, e- even if the letter, you know, usually a lot of people have one letter from a, a specialty that's mm-hmm. not what they're applying to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's important to show to have that letter be very strong and in order for that letter to be strong you have to really put in the work in that rotation and oh what i was going to say is if you go into one rotation and let's say the attending asks like oh is are you thinking of this and you tell them i'm currently thinking of this however like you know keeping an open mind and here um, to learn here to learn here to enjoy and here to explore this more a lot of times they'll tell you like what they think of what you're uh thinking of going into what they think is like the downside of what you're thinking and what they think is like the the upside of what they do and you know sometimes it can feel like like a turf battle between specialties but it gives you good inside yes. perspective of what you think you want to do and what they think of it and what the relationship is it's just it gives you so much more information so be open but still be hardworking. 100% and then evals oh my god cannot tell you Evals actually talking to a lot of people who do like uh, application review. Evals matter a ton, a lot, a ton, because evals help paint a picture. If you know your application is like a picture of your life with a bunch of different elements to it, if you write your personal statement and you're like, I'm this like super hardworking person. You know, I'm, I'm like here to learn, passionate about this specialty and passionate about medicine, blah, blah, blah. And your step scores are great. And, but then your evals are like, meh. It's like, wait, but there's a disconnect. Who do I believe? Who do I believe? And the thing is your evals are from everybody that you work with. So it's hard to not believe something that more than one person is saying. Correct. And so if your evals tell a story, your personal statement tells the same story, 
it's, and your interview tells the same story and your work tells the same story. It's like, okay, it just amplifies that, the power of everything together. You know? Right. So just And especially now with step one being pass fail, they yes. look at the stuff way more. Yes. 100%. So now that we talked about the different rotations, how to explore maybe some rotations that are um, not in your core rotations or that you don't have a department for, mm. let's talk a little bit about why ophthalmology specifically. And I kind of want to paint a picture of what ophthalmology is, what we do. Um, I mean, I'm talking as if I'm like an ophthalmologist already. Um, <laughs> you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're literally almost an ophthalmologist. Match day. <laughs> match day is February 1st, guys. We're going we're gonna to figure out what's going to happen then. But, um, <laughs> but basically what ophthalmologists do on a day-to-day and like, you know, how, how's life How's the day in, 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 in the a day in the life of an ophthalmologist? Oh, I can speak English mm-hmm. today. So, I think there are different elements to ophtho. There are so many elements. But the thing about sorry, I don't mm. mean to interrupt. No, but no, go ahead. Ophtho is just so versatile. Yes. You can, and that's the best thing about it. You can really tailor it to however you want to practice. And I think the big divide here is private practice versus academic setting. Yes. And I think the predominant setting is private practice. I mean, I the mean, majority more of people. Bo- yeah, yeah, more percentage. More ophthalmologists are in private yeah, practice. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, so that that's true. That will change how each of these elements um, is done. And I can tell you a little bit about both because I did a rotation in private practice. Uh, for a month and so I can I have a little bit of an insight as to how it's different from an academic setting but basically the the different environments are obviously the clinic the OR very little is inpatient usually consults and um, and it's not like you're like you know rounding on that those patients for forever it's more like you're addressing that issue and maybe that patient is in for a few days but you're just like addressing the main you know, eye issue. Mm-hmm. So it's not a lot of inpatient work. And um, another important thing I want to talk about is the patient population, the amount of procedures, and the subspecialties, which are so much fun. And people have no idea mm-hmm. that they exist. Right. So there's like a, what, like six? Oh, I was going to make them guess. <laughs> oh, God, sorry. It's okay. Ruined it for I you. think it's like eight. Okay, let's go over them um, from front to back. Okay. Core plastics, I guess, orbit. Yep. Um, cornea, cornea or anterior segment. I cornea, think. anterior segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about it's the same. it's the same. It depends on the the country. I think some countries call anterior segment something that's not cornea, but mm-hmm. in the U.S., plastics, cornea, yeah, um, glaucoma, uveitis, right? Uveitis, retina, pediatrics, neuroophthalmology, oncology. I feel like I'm missing someone. Pathology. Path. Oh my God, we're at. We're eight, at nine. We're at nine. <laughs> Wait, I, f- I still feel like I'm missing someone. But did we count uveitis on its own? Yeah, we did. We okay. did. Yeah, we did. Uh, I mm, think that's everyone. I Why? think that's it. And what? like the more, oh, there's like telemed. Here's the thing, guys. There's more and more fellowships that are coming out. And like global ophthalmology, that's right. another fellowship. More and more um, routes are becoming yes. more popular. And one thing that I actually was... No, very intrigued right. we didn't by. miss anything <laughs> yeah but one thing that i was intrigued by i saw someone who was like an inpatient consultant yes like yeah. they strictly do ophthalmology consults yeah and utah has, has, has utah that. has that right yeah utah has that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So that is so cool. That is kind of cool, actually. I think it's and and we can talk a little bit about that in a Mm -hmm. second. But um, so most of Opto is in the clinic. Clinics are usually very uh, fast paced. And so it changes kind of from specialty to specialty, like neuro-ophthalmology clinics can have fewer patients because you have to spend a little bit more time with each patient. It's probably the closest to like internal medicine type of interaction because you have to like in the visit usually review um, a lot of imaging modalities, usually review like MRI, um, visual fields, OCTs, you review a bunch of different imaging and modalities, different tests. And on top of that, you do your ophthalmic exam. And then there's a lot of questioning about family history so it's probably the most like complete medicine type of um of subspecialty in mm-hmm. fact you can get to it both from ophthalmology and from neurology yeah. so that can tell you a little bit about it mm-hmm. um then you know most of the other specialties have way busier clinics so mm-hmm. in cornea i can tell you our clinics can range from like 35 to like oof, we just had 62 patients mm-hmm. the other day um in a day i know retina clinics can have more mm-hmm. can have up to like 80 patients more uh, a day and so why because these interactions are short and they're most based on your exam so mm-hmm. patient comes in you talk what's the the interval history has anything changed do the exam the exam tells you so much um compared to a lot of the other specialties yeah. the patient can tell you something and the patient will kind of guide you to where to look, but the exam tells you so, 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 so much. And so like, that's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Like compared to, I would say Durham is like the closest thing. Those are probably the skin and the eye are like probably the mm. only two organs which you can directly look at microscopically and like examine and get your information just from your exam. You don't depend much on yeah. the history from the patient. Yeah. You see what you see. and. True you see the pathology so they have what you see that is true opto is a very visual field in the sense that like you see no pun intended yeah no pun intended there um you see the pathology you see the patterns it's 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 a lot of pattern recognition you see what it looks like you see how it behaves and then obviously you have to get some historical elements but it's just it's just right there also I just think it's really cool that the eye is like the only place where you can see um, blood vessels and live cells. and cells. We see cells, guy, guys, with a with the slit lamp. Isn't it's, that so cool? I crazy. think that's insane. It's like, insane. Out of this world. It, it is pretty insane. Um, and so clinics are fun. Interventions, uh, it really will depend on the subspecialty, but a lot clinics have a lot of interventions, like the cornea clinic. There's always something you need to do. Um, So whether it's either like, when I can tell you about biopsies because (laughs) she works in uh, corneal oncology, like uh, ocular surface oncology. And so they take a lot of biopsies in clinic. Um, You can put like punctal plugs. You can put punctal plugs. You can take sutures out. Yep. Remove stitches. Mm. Um, You can do like uh, tarsora fuse, which is Mm, like closing the eyelid. You can, you can remove eyelashes. You can... You can do so you much. Can, you can um, do buy um, uh, cultures right. for inf- something that looks infected, and so drain chalazion, yeah, which are, which are like just um, like the styes, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a clinic, but the exam is very involved and very visual, and you're doing these interventions, and so it's not it doesn't bore you at all, and they're very fast paced. Yeah, you see a ton of them in a day. So I I love that. I would say the. 
the longer visits are usually the, like the pre-op consultation. True. Or like pre-op yeah. advising yeah. sessions, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially when it's cataract because those patients like really need a lot of counseling yeah. on, you know, what they should expect after the surgery yes. and even more like the refractive cases. Yes. I feel like those patients just like expect a lot out of their surgery. Yeah. So it's, it's good to like just lay everything yes. for them and tell them exactly what's going to happen. So those yes. visits take the longest. And then if there's any intervention, those take longer yes. too. Yes, yes, but yes, yes, most yes. visits are like in and out. Yep, they're pretty in and out. Um, and that's, that's great. If you like that, I, I like it. I love it. Um, and so I can see why you liked emergency medicine, actually. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like in and out, but you see the patients for a long time. Yeah. So that's cool. And you have longitudinality, which yeah. is awesome. Uh, patient population, it's mm. literally everything. Everything. You can see anywhere from kids to um, very, very um, elderly, mm-hmm. because the older they are, the more eye issues they have. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, you can specialize in kids yep. uh, in pediatric ophthalmology. Uh, did we say peds? Mm-hmm. We did say peds, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. You can specialize in pediatric ophthalmology, which is funny enough. You will o- you will not only see kids. Yeah. It's kind of like a misnomer. It's yeah, because really... they do adult tri- strabismus too. Yeah, yeah. They're basically strabismus specialists, and so they do both pediatric ophthalmology in general, so everything for peds, and then they also do adult um, strabismus. So you see a, a pretty like good spread of, of patients. Yeah, um, and if you're a specialist, let's say plastic you will still see kids because if you're a specialist in that area and you like, let's say you're even more specialized in like a certain part of plastics, then, you know, you you are trained to see the whole spectrum and people trust you. Yep, exactly. Like, um, and I can tell you, for example, my experience working in the cornea department, um, cornea service, apologize. Uh, Basically, for example, we get very young kids with like allergic um, atopic conjunctivitis or vernal uh, conjunctivitis. Um, those are usually very young kids. We get like the mid, like the teenagers mm. with like keratoconus. Mm. Um, then we get like the young adults, uh, sometimes with keratoconus, sometimes with like um, some sort of conjunctivitis or um, sometimes contact lens wears and they have a yeah. corneal infection. Then you get like the some like mid uh, middle aged older adults with like cataracts and like some like you know age related vision loss, mm. and then you get the really you know the older adults with like ocular surface like autoimmune diseases. Oh, so yeah. you get the whole freaking spread. You really do. It's I love it. <laughs> love the way you laid it out. Love it, love it, love it. Um, so that's for patient population. Um, OR, I think depends on the, um. Uh, the subspecialty, how much OR time you have. For example, the subspecialties that deal more with cataracts tend to have a bit more OR time because there's just, you know, there's just more cataract cases. Whereas, for example, retina sometimes can have a little um, less OR time because their surgeries are a bit more um, complex and they don't jump to surgery as quickly because their surgeries are pretty invasive. So I think it really depends on the subspecialty. Mm-hmm. Um, just quick overview, I guess. So the subspecialties that are surgical are cornea, or I guess let's talk about the ones that are non-surgical. It's easier. Neuro um, opt is not surgical, and uveitis mm-hmm. by itself 
is technically not surgical. And there's also medical retina. So mm -hmm. retina, uh, surgical retina fellowship is two years, but you can also do a one year medical uh, retina fellowship, which is basically you deal with retina patients only in the clinic. And so they deal with a lot of like retinal dystrophies and uh, degenerations and things like that, mm -hmm. but they don't do surgery. Right. And there's the more ones. and more like medical treatments coming out, exactly. especially for retina. Yes. Um, so, you know, they don't have as many surgeries, but their surgeries are longer. So That's I true. guess in the end, it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. not like the same. That is true. They yeah. don't have as many surgeries, but their surgeries are pretty long. I mean, it, it's just, they're usually like as long as they get. Plastics can have some, some long surgeries as well. Oh, true, true. But yeah. Okay. So we talked about the OR the clinic, patient population. And that's basically why we love ophthalmology. It combines, so going over like what we talked about from the other specialties, it combines the fact that you can um, really with your interventions, help the patient immediately, sometimes in the clinic or sometimes, you know, cataract surgeries, you get such immediate results. The patient can see very well right mm -hmm. after and you can really improve their life or um, like corneal transplants, they can really see within a few weeks, they can start seeing much better than before. So things like that, um, I, think, I think are pretty gratifying. I think the, the fine motility is also super gratifying because at the beginning, I think everyone's bad at it. Yeah. And you know, it's difficult to, to get used to it, but it's so nice to see how like- You progress like, you and progress, grow yeah. in, in your manual dexterity. Yep. Um, I will say there's so many happy tears in ophthalmology too, yes. like especially in our ocular surface oncology clinic, I will say it's not uncommon that like patients will say, oh, you saved my life, even though we didn't save their life per se, but like yes. cancer is just like so dreaded by so many people, especially when it's in the eye. Yeah. So. No, I, I have a similar um, uh, perspective. So the clinic that I, I work in the most... Uh, with uh in the cornea service sees a lot of like autoimmune inflammatory conditions like uh we, we see a lot of stevens johnson and um ocular cicatricial pemphigoid and things like that and uh we've had a couple of like stevens johnson's patients who you know stevens johnson can really like mess up with your ocular surface mm -hmm. and they have a ton of other issues that are a sequelae of the stevens johnson's like no nails, no hair, and a lot of, uh, like, scar tissue in a lot of other places, and they have a hard time, like, walking sometimes and things like that. And a lot of patients say, like, this other stuff is nothing compared to, like, not being able to see. Yeah. Because not being able to see truly limits you going back to your normal so life as debilitating. So So it's nice to see how you can actually help uh, patients, and they're super grateful for it. And another aspect that I thought was so cool about ophthalmology is that you can look at the eye and be able to diagnose a systemic problem just oh, yes. based off an of ocular oh, manifestation. That's such a good one. They use all like, uh, have them check out their kidneys because they know, yeah. you know, they have something. something. Yeah, something's messed up just yeah. based off looking at their eyes. So that is actually, wow, that's such a good point that you bring up. Um, and I think most of the specialties, I think so all specialties do that to a certain extent. Mm. But if you want to be really, really connected to the systemic world, I think neuro and uveitis mm. are very connected. Yes. And I guess I kind of alluded to this before when I said uveitis alone is not surgical. Uveitis is commonly combined with, with other retina. fellowships. Retina and cornea usually. Mm. 
Because, for example, if you want to do um, like inflammatory processes of the cornea and the anterior chamber, sometimes having that uveitis um, experience can really help you, um, you know, bridge the gap. For sure. Very and medical. Same, yeah, very medical. So uveitis uh, people, basically, if you don't know what it means, they it's a, it's a one-year fellowship, and they are the ones who treat inflammatory and infectious processes of mainly the inside of the eye. So cornea usually falls on, on uh, like cornea infections fall on cornea specialists, but any infection inside the eye usually falls sometimes on, on, in retina. And also systemic infections that have eye issues or systemic conditions that have eye um, issues also fall with uveitis sometimes. And so basically these people have a lot of like, these specialists see a lot of like uh, rheumatoid arthritis that has eye um, involvement or like juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and they are like TB patients with like ocular TB, uh, sarcoid patients, um, a lot of, uh, just a lot of stuff basically. Mm -hmm. Um, and they prescribe and manage like rituximab and fleximab, a lot of antibody, like monoclonal antibody therapies, a lot of, um, uh, immunosuppressants mm -hmm. and things like that. And so it's very, it's a very medical specialty. Yes. For sure. So specialty. It's it's pretty cool. And um, yeah, I think I will never forget the... I think this happened like twice actually during one of my rotations. The retina specialist diagnosed syphilis twice in, wow. in two patients for the very first time. Very first time. It was wow. kind of crazy. Doesn't it? Is, when it gets to the eye, isn't it like tertiary? So yeah, it has, it actually is technically considered neurosyphilis if it made it to the eye, mm. and so they have to get the neurosyphilis protocol. I, I'm pretty sure. I yeah. think that that well, yeah. that's really sad. Yeah, but um, basically, it it's just crazy the fact that like some findings in the eye make you think of syphilis, and then you test for it, and it's positive, and there's like the patient had never even knew, no one would have caught it, and so I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Also, hypertension. Uh, it has happened. I've seen a couple of cases where. Um, there's hypertensive diagnosed. yeah there's hypertensive changes and they're like do you have hypertension and patients are like i don't think so and they're like okay but i actually want to send you to um some primary care person to like take a look and then they end up do they end up having hypertension or even diabetes although diabetes usually gets caught before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah wow yep pretty crazy um let's see so lots of cool subspecialties each subspecialty has kind of a different personality too. Mm -hmm. So honestly, there's something for everyone uh, in Opto, so. But we're trying to break those personalities, guys. Like yes. Everything, yes. every field I feel should be much more diverse than it is. That's 100% um, true. I don't like how certain subspecialties attract certain personalities and it stays that way and it perpetuates itself. I guess that's a good point. Point. I didn't see it. In, I didn't say it, say it in a bad way, actually. Oh no, you're good. But no, like, it's like, just an observation that I made. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I think that you know, if if your specialty is predominantly like this type of person, then yeah. you're you're really pushing a lot of people away. <laughs> That's true. No, no, no. One hundred percent. I think probably what I meant is more like. Um, and I don't want to start any stereotypes <laughs> or like feature any stereotypes. But like, you know, some specialties are a little bit more like nerdy and like, like to yeah. investigate more. And if you really are into that, there's something for that. Some specialties are a bit more intense and like mm -hmm. high risk. And, um, and so 
I think it mm. goes with like the risk and uh, the day to day of sure. each subspecialty. So yeah. I think that's pretty cool. Yes. Um, but I agree. We do need diversity and mm-hmm. no space for malignancy here. Yes, we None. are. None. Um, we hate malignancy. We hate it. Doesn't lead anywhere. Mm-hmm. So now we want to tell you a little bit about basically figuring out if you want to, once you figure out you want to apply to ophthalmology, how can you prepare yourself? What are some of the things that you probably want to do? So first of all, overarching theme in all of these, you know, in all of uh, my podcasts talking about ophthalmology, seek mentorship, Mm -hmm. seek mentorship, mentorship, seek mentorship, seek mentorship. Ophthalmology is a pretty happy field. Most people are super chill. Most people are open to to mentoring. They're pretty busy all the time usually, so don't be disappointed if you don't get a response from someone if you email them. But honestly, most people love teaching and mm-hmm. love ophthalmology, and they want to sell it and they want people to come into the field. Yeah. So, so like, look for opportunities to, to to you know to have some mentorship because I think that's what's going to make sure that whatever you're doing makes sense. Yeah. Because if not, you're going in blind. Yeah. And ask them what you need to be doing. Yeah, 100%. Um, Have them look at your CV. I don't know. Just see what they think is your weakness, if any. So let's say you're like an M1 or an M2 and you know you want to do ophthalmology. I think there's some basic things that you you want to to start to do. First, obviously, once again, seek mentorship. Um, Research is important in the field of ophthalmology. Um, Why? There's a lot of research in ophthalmology. Because there's a lot of unknowns. There's mm-hmm. a lot of new therapies, mm-hmm. lots of research going on, basic science, translational, um, clinical, all kinds, epidemiological, all kinds of research going on in ophthalmology. And so it's very important when it comes to your applications because most programs do have some sort of research component. And so they want to see that you've done it. It also shows a little bit of commitment to the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said, though, it doesn't necessarily need to be ophthalmology specific research. Mm-hmm. You can, if you don't have the access to it, if you don't have any way of getting involved, just make sure you get involved in some kind of research because completing a project shows that you can complete any other project. So, right. You know. And it becomes a huge point to talk about in interviews. Yes, that's which true. We will get to. You find like a com- like a common ground between you and your um and your interviewer and you talk you can nerd out about like some project that you did so you can teach them yeah sometimes you can teach them that's actually that's actually true um i think one one attending that i like um worked with during one of my rotations she really liked basic science and she really liked um when students did basic science and her reasoning is you may not get a lot of publications from basic science and that's something to really think about if you are thinking about going into basic mm-hmm. science, that's that's really something huge to think about. And I think it's on the application side, it's still a debate mm-hmm. whether that's better than clinical. Don't know. But one of the points that she really liked is when you do basic science, you're doing such like small and such um, like breakthrough research that yeah. when you come into a room, you're going to be the expert in that topic. Exactly. None of those other ophthalmologists and like subspecialists are going to know about that topic no, more than you. Yeah. You're going to be a medical student. You're going to know more about it than everyone else. And so I think there's power in that. 
So, it's you know. impressive, but yeah, it has its downsides, and we can get yeah. more into that. Basic science research definitely has has some downsides that you should know about before you embark on it. You can, but just know about it. Um, so if you're an M1 and M2, research, mentorship, um, start like, don't lock yourself up with like working with one single specialist. If you can work with more, do it. If you can, uh, if you have the opportunity to maybe work with someone in private practice, someone in academia, it's even better. Mm-hmm. Um, you can establish that relationship and maybe get a letter mm-hmm. that shows years of you know longitudinal relationship and work. Um, other than that, really focus on excelling in medical school. Just focus mm-hmm. on your classes. It's important to do well preclinically yeah. and it's important to do well in rotations. Yes. Just because you like off though doesn't mean they don't look at the evals for all the other oh, they uh, rotations. They look. <laughs> they really look and it's really important. So do well. Take your time. Third year is for you to learn about all the other specialties regardless of your choice. And you're not going to see them again. So you, you want to yeah. ideally, I would hope you want to learn about yeah, them. Exactly. Um... Now, if you're an M3, like us, like Mona and I, and you decided relatively late because you find you found it, you know, late in the game, that is totally fine. Let me first put your nerves at ease. A lot of people find it very late in the game. So common. And people match every year after mm-hmm. finding ophthalmology during their third year. It happens. Mm-hmm. A lot of people match. Now, I think at the same time, you should be very um critical of of yourself of your application and of your confidence and uh and weigh benefits and risks of doing anything so if you decide to apply that same year just make sure that you understand that you have to kind of work for it so you have to get out there show yourself do away rotations maybe do projects um and put in uh, a bit more work in a short in, t- in a short time um to get some projects out uh that are ophthalmology specific so that you have at least a little bit to show about hey i explored this field really liked it put in a lot of work during this time it's not a lot of time but that's when i discovered it and mm-hmm. i've talked to a lot of people and they're fine with that yeah yeah, a lot of like admissions people, they're fine with that. And uh, now the other side of the coin is, hey, I I love it, but I haven't been able to really get as immersed in the field. Mm-hmm. I don't have any, any, like not a lot to show my interest on paper. And um, there's a research year. Yeah. So a research year has its pros and cons, but obviously can um, increase your chances of matching. Mm -hmm. And I think you shouldn't do it only because of that. I think you should do it. I think you also should feel like research is something you're interested in Mm -hmm. and, um, that I guess, let me, let me see how to, how to phrase that. Yes. A research year increases your chances of matching and makes your application better, but it doesn't do it intrinsically it's not like oh i did a research year that helps me no it's what you do during your research year it's your productivity and the relationships that you make during that year yes so you have to be hard working you have to enjoy um uh, working in a research environment and you have to really enjoy research so that you're productive and so that it it, that comes through in your projects and when you talk about them so Mm. you know 
don't uh, don't just think of research years as as the end all be all uh, to no. to match. No, you need to really put in the work and you need to like what you're doing. So, think about it. Yeah. So you know you can apply with it, without it. You and have to just yeah. yeah. There's so many types of research years That's too, true. and we Huge are point. we are kind of skewed in our opinion because. I mean, the environment here is great at Bascom, and we are in a unique situation in the sense that, yes, we are research fellows, but research is a, is just one component of what yes. we do. Yes, exactly. We are in the clinic, yes. we are in the OR, yes. we are seeing patients, we are forming relationships with our mentor, like yeah. strong relationships, and you want that. We are just getting in-depth knowledge yeah. of ophthalmology and working with the staff, with, with the entire Bascom, like, like the support staff. And I think yeah. that's just super important. You yeah. need to, these, these are all like primers for residency. You need to realize like, you know, being a resident, you know, you need to see the residents, you need to interact with, the, with them and see what makes them, you know, good residents. I think it's much more for us. It's much more than just research. Um, and you, that's the thing you won't, I didn't know that coming in and I don't think I knew that either. Actually, Yeah. And you just wouldn't, you don't know, you might get a lot out of it, like way more than you thought. It may be very growth inducing, like way more than you thought. So it's, I think it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to echo a lot of that. I've talked to other friends who have done research years and other people who have done research years. And I think there's two like main categories of research years. Mm-hmm. There are your, I guess what I thought, I don't know if this is a traditional, actually, uh, I have no stats to prove this, but what I thought originally, traditionally of a research year is, let's say if you're doing clinical research is, you know, you're mostly like working, let's say, at the library and yeah. just, just working on papers, working on databases, uh, writing papers, doing statistics, things like that, and then meeting with your mentor uh, routinely. Um, if you're doing basic science, you're spending it in the lab. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't know is this other kind of like type of research yeah. here existed where you're in the clinic, you're part of the clinical team. You know, you're, you're there in the clinic, in the, pa- in the patient room with your uh, mentor, seeing the patients, learning about ophthalmology, and then when questions come up, interesting cases come up, then that sparks ideas for papers. Yeah. And it's, oh, I, this is so interesting. I wonder what the effect of this is on this. Okay, yeah, we've had this many patients that have had that. Okay, let's actually, maybe let's look into this. How many patients do we have? Can we build a, um, can we put together a retrospective study? I would love to know if that's the case for all of the patients or not. And, and then it's like, that just triggers um, a lot of, of ideas and it also exposes you to the clinical environment. For sure. You get so much exposure. It's insane. And I don't know if this is, I would say, I would argue that this is a unique, very unique situation. I don't think Mm. most research fellowships are designed in this way. I don't know, actually. That's that's such a good question. I, I legitimately do not know. Yeah. Because there's, this may be, even I don't know your thoughts, but this may be even mentor dependent mm. because I I know people some people at Bascom are doing the more like what I call traditional research mm. here where they're just like you know writing papers mm. and and being very productive, but they're not as involved clinically. Mm. So I I don't know. Yeah, that's a I very interesting point. It's just 
I, we just want to bring awareness to you that all of these options exist and maybe you would like to um, explore with uh, whoever you're looking for a research here with mm-hmm. on what kind of a, uh, activities you'll, you'll be involved in so that you, you, you know, make it whatever you want to. If you want to, a more traditional research here, that's, you, you look for yeah. that. If you want something more clinical, you look for that too. So we're just making you aware that these types of research years yeah. exist. And talk to the people who have done these fellowships too. Exactly. Get, get to see what their day-to-day was like and see if that's something that you would be enjoying. Exactly. Now, how to find a research year. Before doing it, I thought this was more of like a, like an established um, thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, there are these like research years. And maybe Same. that's true <laughs> for the paid for positions. The paid, the paid ones tend to be a bit more structured because obviously they have to like have you know, recurrent funding and things like that. And you can find those online super easily. There's only a few around the country um, because obviously you have to have significant funding to pay for someone for a year. But those usually uh, also entail doing some sort of, of work. Like, for example, um, one here at Bascom is the Pathology Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So this is a pre-residency fellowship in ocular pathology. So you spend a year working in the pathology lab, and at the beginning, it's just training, but you're paid. You're, uh, you're working in the pathology lab. You're seeing all of the cases that come through. You're processing cases. You're handling the specimens. So you are a staff member in the pathology lab. Yeah, and it's it's they're considered clinical fellows That's actually true. too. Yeah. So you, for this one, you won't be doing research, and it's actually I I want to say it's like valued more than a traditional research year by I don't know by by residency programs. I mean that's a good that's a good point. I actually don't know. I think it is because they mm. not many people are pathology trained, and they know That's it's true. rigorous. Like they true. know it's hard work. Yeah. So anybody that comes out of these, yeah, is a traditionally no, it, a good resident. It's going to kill it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine you you already you already know about ocular pathology and then yeah, like, like you the know conditions. half the pathology part of the the VCSC books. Yeah, of residency. So like, I'm sure you're gonna kill it. And 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 like Mona said, it is. When we say they're clinical fellows, we mean that this is legitimately a de- not not degree, but like a like a diploma like earning. You are training. It's like doing a fellowship in like cornea. Right. You know? You're doing a pre residency full blown fellowship. Yes. Um. So it's that I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But then again, you're uh, essentially an employee, so you have duties, and yes. so a lot of times you don't have. Um, as much time to do research as a traditional or a, a research fellow and so you have to factor that in as well mm-hmm. um how to find it i think how to find uh, the ones that are like non um paid Non-paid. not not those are trickier trickier i think cold emailing yeah it's huge yes if you're fine with not being paid Actually, that makes it a lot easier. That does, unfortunately. Then, yeah, people but. are more likely to take you on, um, and they're not as structured, so that's a huge bonus too. Yeah. Like yeah. you can, you can do a ways if you want. You yeah, can, you can tailor to whatever you want. Actually, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah, you can take time off for interviews, etc. Yeah. So that's good. But also, yeah. I want to point out that some of the paid ones are not advertised. Like some some ones here are not. On, like, the website. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, specific mentors have grants. That's true. That is true. Yeah, those those are not as advertised. So you 
Oh, that's that is very true. I can think of a few. Yeah. That is true. But, um, but they're not like established fellowship. Like they're not the. Mm, they're not as structured. I guess they're not. They're newer. Right. I think the ones on the website are like traditionally like they've been going on for years. Right. And they're very well structured. Right. Everything. Right, right, right. And uh, or they're like pathology fellowships, yeah. like the one that we were talking about. But the ones that we're talking about now, it's more just like. Uh, one particular attending that has had research fellows for a long time suddenly got a hold of funding and yeah. uh, he can begin to, he, she can begin to pay um, mm-hmm. research fellows. So that's great. If you can find that, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Actually, there's another one that's paid here at Bascom. I just remembered. There's one with the glaucoma, um, mm. the Balkan Center. Oh, yes, so, yes. Yeah, check it out. If anyone's looking for a research fellowship um, paid with uh, in pediatric glaucoma, I think it's mostly pediatric glaucoma, mm-hmm. pediatric cornea. Um, it's with the Balkan Center, which is basically like a, a center within Bascom Palmer that is dedicated to pediatric conditions. Yeah. So look it up. I think up. it's called the SOAR Fellowship. The SOAR like Fellowship. Like S-O-A-R. S-O-A-R. Yep, 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 yep. You're totally correct. Um, okay, so... Guys, if you're looking for that, you can either hit us up, yeah. um, but for, for some uh, um, ideas on where to begin looking, but it's, it's really mostly um, cold calling. I yeah. think something important is research years are not only about the clinical learning and the research. It's also about the networking. I would say equally about yes, the networking. Yes, it's equally about the networking. What that means is... You are making an impression this whole year and you're probably going to get letters from this year. And so... In fact, you should get letters from this year and it's a red flag if you don't get letters from (laughs) this year. That is true. Very true. (laughs) But that has a lot of implications. One, um, I think it's important to understand that you are essentially making the most significant impression, whether good or bad at the program where you're doing this research fellowship. So if you have a particular program in mind that you're really, really, really interested in, doing the research fellowship there and excelling there, I think this is, I'm not in no way or, you know, uh, someone in an admissions committee, but from my limited experience and from talking to other research fellows, I think this is, doing the research fellowship at that place increases your chances more than doing the fellowship at somewhere, uh, some other place and just getting a letter and applying to this place. So, mm-hmm. you know. If you have a specific interest, yeah. Especially if they're known to value their research fellows yes. and like be willing to take them on for residency. Yeah. Yep, yep, and it's yep. also a good way to actually see what the program is like in depth. True. True. I mean, not that you should spend a year somewhere just to take a look at the program. <laughs> um, no, no, definitely don't. Don't spend an unpaid year somewhere just to take a look at the program. But, um, but yeah, it's just if you have a particular region in mind, a particular program in mind, just make sure that you look for, at least you look for research opportunities there. Um, because that's where your good, um, your hard work and your efforts are going to have the most impact. Mm-hmm. how to get the most out of a research year honestly work hard try to get along with everyone and just this the same principles of doing well in core rotations apply 
be the first one in, be the last one to leave. Um, just, you know, take be, initiative, take initiative and uh, be be the, you know, be the person who's willing to take it for the team, work for the team, because everyone needs to work and everyone needs to do whatever they need to do so that the team works. Just be another team player. Don't be the, well, that's not my job person. Be pleasant. True. Be huge. nice to the staff. If you make connections with the staff, not that that should be the reason why you make connections with the right. staff and get to know them, but they are they will make your life dramatically better. Yes. And they know how things work. They literally carry the team. Like yes. they they do they do God's work in my opinion. No, they they, they are. They're literally doing God's work because they know how things work. Most of the staff here has been here for like forever. And so they know how everything's work. Everything works. They know who to ask for things, and sometimes you're like scrambling to find something, and no one knows, mm-hmm. and the staff does. And they so help you. They help. You're a nice person. Yep, exactly. Now, the last thing that we wanted to talk about <laughs> was uh, the Alta Suite. Oh, our favorite why do topic. You have to make me relive these memories. <laughs> I have suppressed them so hard. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. We have to wake up these memories um so basically i know that some other programs have started doing this but it's more of an optional thing uh-huh. i think anesthesia started doing it last year yeah. i can't i mean I'm not, some don't other sure. specialties chose to like partake in it but. yeah but also i think it's the first one to make it mandatory for every single person undergoing we hate it guys we really hate it oh, it's a thing you know so what is it I know okay. some people actually. Some people did it for um, for med school. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either. So yeah. it was a whole new ball yeah. game for me. Yeah, same. And it was such an added stress because I applied yes. last year and I didn't have it. It was just so much smoother. Yep, 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 yep. It's 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 a thing. Um, so basically, a lot of people know it as the Casper test, but it is more than that for residency. So they call it the Alta Suite, and uh, it is a set of three basically tests, I guess, Um, but in different formats. And we're going to go over them a little bit. But essentially, it's not testing knowledge. It's testing like situational, they call it situational judgment, basically testing how you respond to different types of scenarios, how you express yourself, how thorough you can, how thoroughly you can argue something and and all of those types of things. Your thought process, your personality. Yep. Um, and then also your fit with the program. Uh, and we'll we'll go over why and how they test that. Mm-hmm. So you take this. So this year, I don't know if this is going to continue, but this year this was um, subsidized by the ophthalmology match. And so we didn't have to pay for it. Right. I know for med school, some people pay for it. Yeah. Um, and it can be expensive. It's like a mm-hmm. step, basically. Especially when you hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but this year it was subsidized by the SF match. So... Or I don't know who paid for it, but someone yeah, I think did. So. Um, and so you take it. Yeah. You have to do it before um, your application goes in. Mm-hmm. So you usually take it like a month before your application goes in. Yeah. So what's important is that when programs start looking at applications, they have it. Exactly. It should be there. Um, okay. So it's made up of three tests and we're going to go over each. So the first one is the Casper. The first one, the main test the, is the Casper. So and, yeah, go ahead. And sorry, no, but that's that's one. And then the other two 
are not ones that you take the day of necessarily. You can take them up to two weeks after. That's true. I think I took it actually like a little bit after two weeks and it was fine. Yeah, you can. You can. So. Yeah. So you don't have to take them all at the same time. The portal all opens at the same time, but you can take the other two kind of at your own pace. Um, so Casper, so the three tests are Casper, Snapshot, and Duet. Those are three distinct activities. Casper is the first one. It's basically kind of like a step where you just like sit down. It starts at a specific time, uh, but you do it on your computer wherever you want. Um, it starts at a specific, at a specific time. You have a certain time for each section and it ends and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, it is made up of 15? Yeah, 15 scenarios. Each scenario contains three questions. Yeah, so, well, yes, each scenario contains three questions. Yes, the scenarios can be um, word-based or video-based. Right, and the answers can be word-based or video-based. Correct. And (laughs) um, I think the answers that are video-based are five are for five scenarios five scenarios yeah yep so okay let's break it down so 15 scenarios for 10 of those scenarios you're going to type out your answers to three questions Mm -hmm. and for five the remaining five of those scenarios you're not going to type the answer it's just at the end of the question the camera will turn on and then you have a minute to say your your answer mm-hmm. and that's for all three questions you know you'll get a minute to say the answer for one question then you'll get a minute to say the the answer for the other question and then all three yeah so that's for five scenarios now for how the question is shown whether it's a video or a text is basically i i don't actually know the the distribution i think it's i, think it I don't think there's yeah there's no just dis- distribution they yeah. keep a nice variety in there yeah but basically the video responses can have text um questions or video questions mm-hmm. and then the text responses can have both as well. right and you know it's um similar to your typical like ethical dilemma type of mm-hmm. uh of tests you're gonna get a scenario where there's a dilemma there's something that needs to be addressed and there's no clear-cut answer mm-hmm. but more like you need to observe what's going around the question the, the the situation and understand what are all of the factors at play yeah um there's and, a lot of resources mm-hmm. out there yes to help you. yes i was um, just going to say yeah. there are uh, books where you can like see what how to answer what yeah. they're looking for um there are sort of there's sort of like an overarching theme of yeah. like how you should be responding right. um and like displaying Displaying that you're not biased, that you're super understanding, that you're... And, yeah? And, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce a caveat. You actually don't get your score, and mm. no one knows how it's graded. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that's great. Tricky part. Um, you don't get your score. You only get your quartile. So first, second, third, or fourth quartile. That's what you get. And, but the programs do get your score. They don't get your recordings or your answers, but they do get your score. But no one knows how it's scored, um, and you don't see your score. Therefore, like, all of these, like, this is how you should respond are based on kind of, like, logic 
but they're not entirely oh, like vetted. It's not like yeah. this is the correct way to uh-huh. do it. No, it's more like this is recommended because it's like it's thorough. Not like your world. But <laughs> right, <laughs> right, there is technically no right answer. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. That actually, when even like the the materials on the website, they say there it, there is more than one right answer, but there's definitely one wrong answer. Yeah, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Which basically means like. You can definitely bomb it by just not being very good at uh, observing the situation. Mm-hmm. But if you observe the situation and interpret things in different ways, there's many ways it can be interpreted. Right. So, you know, that's at least... I think it's a typing test. It is. Because it is timed and you have to type out your response. And when you're yes. writing a scenario out and like your thought process, that takes time. Yes. Actually, you bring up a huge point. And it is probably the most challenging part of the test really because Mm -hmm. the scenarios are they're ethical dilemmas and not everyone's going to agree on what to do but you know they're not like these crazy like life or death situations it's the fact that you only have five minutes to type out your answers for three questions so you know the questions can get involved and uh and i'm not that fast of a typer and it it can get it can get it can get rough so It was stressful, and especially because this was the first time they did it. It's the yeah. pilot time, yep. um, and we just didn't know what we were going into, what to expect, and how mm. it was going to be seen by, by programs. We still but don't know. We still don't know, <laughs> but like we can tell you. I mean, I personally didn't do well, and I can tell you it didn't affect me. I don't. I actually don't know how it. I have I no idea how programs me. are going to use it. Well, no, you're doing great. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, she, they see it before they review your application, yeah. and Mona got. I'm not going to say the, the number. Yeah. She got her interviews, guys. Yeah, so, like, so she's fine. <laughs> yeah, I would like to think I'm fine. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, that's just something. That's, that's Casper. That's Casper. And then Snapshot and Duet you can take later. Those yeah. are the milder portions of the exam. I low hated Snapshot, though. Snapshot was uncomfortable was because, guys, Snapshot is like a snapshot, a video snapshot of yes. you answering a prompt or a question and it's you talking to the camera and they don't give you much time to think about your answers very little time right and so you're winging it and they give you three questions and every question is one minute i think so the whole thing takes i think um, uh the whole thing takes 10 minutes it's three questions and you get the question, you have like, I think, 30 seconds to think or something mm-hmm. like that. Obviously, review the website so that you yeah. get all the, all the actual details. <laughs> but it will give you just, we're, we're giving you just an overall, um, like, gestalt of how it works. We took this like months ago, guys. Yeah, yeah. So it's three questions in total. You get the question, then you get like 30 seconds to think. And then the camera turns on and you have, I think, almost two minutes Oh, okay. um, to respond to each question. I think it's a minute, 20, two minutes. No, actually, I think it is two minutes. Mm. It's two minutes per question, yeah. And um, you can stop it at yeah. any time. If it, you're, it, like, done answering, yeah. you can stop. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just the questions are... It, the only way you can prepare for this is preparing for basically interview-style questions because that's what they are. Yeah. They can just be, like, a little... You know, they can, ca- they can catch you off guard. So... Yeah. Um, just make sure you prepare uh, for interview style questions. You are eloquent, um, and you can you know you're not super nervous and will like get yeah. And it's like the thing is, it's super early. Like people yeah, haven't started early. prepping for interviews, yeah. and they're most likely not good at it. So 
Yep. And those, those don't get, the, the snapshot doesn't get graded. It just gets sent to the program directly. Oh, yeah. And they can watch your they actual watch video. They can watch you. It's so, like, <laughs> uncomfortable to think about that. When I finished, I was like, cool, they're going to literally replay this a million times and, like, <laughs> laugh um, the whole time with, like, how nervous I was. But um, but in reality, I mean, I doubt they have time to yeah. look at all of these for each applicant. And also, if they decide to interview you, like... They're yeah. going to interview you. They don't need another resource. Right, exactly. And then finally, there's Duet. So the good thing about Duet is... Duet, I think, is the only one that's there to actually help you. <laughs> um, or at least that's what it, that's what it feels like. <laughs> um, it is uh, at your own pace. There's no timing. doesn't matter. You can take a day if you want responding mm-hmm. to it, like finishing it. But it has to, do- it has to be done in one sitting. Yeah. Um, and it is called Duet because it's a series of uh, questions uh, or comparisons that both you and the programs fill out about how um, you would like to train, what kind of program you would enjoy, what mm-hmm. kind of tra- learning environment you thrive in, mm-hmm. um, what are your priorities for a workplace and things like that. And so both you and the program take it and the programs, not you, of course, the programs get a match score. So it's like a score of like how close are your values and your priorities to their programs. Um, and so it looks at like, um, learning autonomy uh, versus like one-on-one um, teaching. Um, it looks at like what do you prioritize more, like um, feedback, uh, like s- feedback versus other things. Basically, it compares a bunch of categories. Like, yeah. what do you prefer, more autonomy or more like opportunities to give feedback? And then there's Liker scale, and it does this like a million times yeah. over. Um, and uh, you take it on your own time, and you're. Just be very honest because in the end, you want to have a high match at a program that actually prioritizes what you prioritize. Yeah, so. but also we just literally don't know yeah, what any of this is doing on that's like true. the program side. We don't know how valuable it is if they actually use it or not. I feel like programs are just are different and like people have different perspectives on yeah. like this, this whole Alta suite and some of them... Yep. value it more than others so no i agree 100 i mean i this is like me thinking of how it could be used in an ideal world yeah. and hoping that it's being used this way but I, we're, we really have no idea and i think to a certain extent the programs don't actually fully know how to use it because it is a first time yeah. right you don't want to like have something that's never been used um in this uh level of learning right. um to like really dictate who comes to your program right. so i think they're probably like figuring it out too yeah. Hopefully they'll sure. figure it out. There will be more information coming out. Hopefully just, they figure it out. Hopefully and get they get their stuff it. together. <laughs> it's just, you know, this year was slightly anxiety creating because no one really knew anything about it. So <laughs> just really cool, you know? Um to throw that in like right before the, the season begins. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Alright guys. I think that was enough. Um, for a podcast, I think there is there's a lot to to go over there. And yeah, we could talk for hours. Exactly, but, but you don't gonna, want that either, right? No, no you, really, you really don't. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up. 
One thing is Mommer and I, <laughs> Mommer and I are open to questions, um, to, you know, help you navigate ophthalmology applications mm-hmm. uh, whenever you want. <clears throat> so shout out to um, the students in the M3 class and in the M4 class who are applying to ophthalmology. Uh, well, M4 is just me, actually, JK. Um, and, and actually, no, 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 no. JK, I'm lying. There's, uh, there's someone else uh, who just matched because he did a military match. Oh. And so, yeah, congrats, nice. uh, Amol, uh, shout out. So, but to those of you in the M3 class applying to ophthalmology who have reached out to me and I've been like trying to help as much as possible. But so if anyone else, M1, M2 class is thinking of applying to ortho, reach out if you have any mm-hmm. questions, if you need any suggestions, if you need a, like an inside scoop on how the process feels firsthand. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.